greetings and welcome to another new episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. My name is Kevin Weber. On this week's episode, we definitely have a section on the thing that's got the umpiring community in a bit of a buzz over this opening weekend of NCAA Division I baseball. Drawing a line. I'll have my takes on that situation and the Michigan Vanderbilt game. Also, of course, I've got an umpire spotlight. I'm going to be talking about John McSherry this week. Again, I'm going to be also touching on the player DH rule, the new high school rule for the player DH. I had a listener bring a situation to my attention that I'll discuss for a few minutes. I'm going to have another segment about um, responding to players and coaches, specifically this week, responding to coaches and how you might go about doing that. Some things to think about as the season is coming to a beginning for us all. And also, uh, I had another listener ask about um, handling ejections. This was in reference to the drawing the line situation. So I'll go over some basics about handling ejections and when you might want to eject and maybe writing reports and such things like that. This is a great weekend because NCAA D1 baseball starts and there's lots of streaming services out there that carry a bunch of the games. You can um, see the games and it's fun, of course, just to watch baseball, but I love watching all the umpires and seeing how well they're doing and trying to learn a few things from them. Um, If you don't have uh, the TV providers that might have those things on there, you might want to take a take a look at that. Um, it's kind of kind of cool how the last few years that you know baseball kind of starts in February for most of us, uh, and we have the ability to see those games. We don't have to wait till April when the major league season necessarily starts. So if you haven't been checking out some college baseball on TV uh, through the streaming services, I suggest you do that. And of course, you know, as we always do, pay particular attention to the umpires and what they're doing. So sit back, make sure your speakers are turned up nice and loud, your AirPods are working correctly for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. With Division I college baseball starting in full force this past weekend, we've had lots of games that we could watch uh, through different streaming services if you subscribe to those. I'm lucky enough to have a few that I subscribe to and through my television provider. So I watched parts of several games uh, over the last several days, and I was interested in watching the Michigan Vanderbilt game on Friday night. Um, you know, I had a little interest in that because I had worked that scrimmage last weekend, and so I knew several of the players that were going to be playing in that game for Michigan would, um, you know, be in the starting lineup. And pretty much either on one side or the other, all of them were. So I was just kind of curious to see how my experience kind of translated to what I saw on television. And it was a good ball game. Of course, that game had uh, quite a bit of controversy in it that got some national attention and also has been on the different message boards 
Facebook pages, uh, Twitter, and other social media that you can can look at. Because um, in the latter part of the game, um, the designated hitter, Jimmy, I'll just go with that, uh, he, uh, he was uh, thrown out of the contest for drawing a line. And this has uh, garnered a bunch of, you know, various types of uh, responses through the umpiring community. I've read or looked at probably over a hundred different posts or comments on different things. And there's some umpires are like, yep, that's exactly right. Great call. You know, draw a line, should get ejected. No doubt about it. That kind of thing. Other people, oh, terrible call. You know, uh, shouldn't have been ejected. Umpire's got a thin skin. You know, basically ripping on the umpire at, at times. So, and, and then there's in-between stuff too. So everything's there. Um, on my Facebook page through the Hammer podcast, I posted the video just to see, you know, what reaction people had for it. When I first saw it, I was watching the game live. My first reaction was, ooh, I don't know. You know, I mean, it wasn't like a clear cut. It, it, the, there's no doubt that the the situation, as far as an umpire goes, did not have a good look. You know, it wasn't like a clear cut thing. And the main thing is because the the line that was drawn was drawn, um, you know, vertically and, and not like, you know, it wasn't a, a parallel line to the batter's box or something because it was an inside pitch. Now... I worked behind Jimmy for, you know, part of a couple hours. He seemed like a decent kid. You know, it's only so much you can deal with, you know, with that. I mean, but, you know, it was just a scrimmage or whatever. But he didn't come off as some kind of prima donna kind of kid or something like that. Seemed all right. <clears throat> Most of the players there did. I didn't get any kind of vibe from him. So I, mean, I have to say, you know, not that I know this kid, but he, he seems like he's okay. You know, doesn't seem like he's you know, some bad apple or something like that, like some people are making it out to be, which is a little ridiculous too because he's like 18 or 19 or whatever he is, you know. I mean, come on, you know, don't be ripping on this teenager. That's kind of ridiculous for his college game. <laughs> you know, he gets thrown out. He had a big big hit too, a big double off the wall earlier in the game. Um, so that's that was a little bit of my take there. Um, there were some calls in his earlier at-bats because I was kind of paying attention to that because – I was paying attention particularly to the two catchers that I kind of was working behind. And he was the other catcher. Jimmy was. Um, there was a couple. I mean, they, they had a big strike zone, which is fine. I, I I like big strike zones. But there was a couple calls that were on him that, you know, maybe he didn't like. I don't know what was said. I don't know if there was uh, any warnings issued. I don't recall that happening. It could have been. You know how it is. You don't know what's being said Um under people's breath as they go, or little comments. We don't always see that on television. You don't even see that if you are working the bases and you're one of the partners. You don't see that stuff either. Sometimes, you know, guys just take care of their own business if you're the plate umpire. That's the way you should probably be doing it, right? But the thing is this. The pitch was kind of inside. From what I saw, he um, put the bat on the ground on the inside part. Then he did draw it back. You know, at least a couple feet. Why did he do that? Was there some, there was a reason he did that. It's not, when I saw him last week, he never did that 
on the back of the batter's box. Now, of course, it was turf, so maybe he wouldn't do it on that. Why would you draw in the back of the batter's box? There's no reason why a hitter would draw in the back of the batter's box because you want to go back as far as you can. Why would you limit yourself? That doesn't make any sense either. I think he did put the bat there to try to show where he thought it was, didn't know exactly what to do after that, and then drew it back. Now, was was there some other course of action that this umpire could have taken? Yeah, it's possible. I've seen some suggestions. I've talked to some people, communicated with some people. You know, maybe there could have been a question about what he was doing. Maybe there could have been a warning if there hadn't been warnings before. You know, but then again, if you uh, honestly thought that he was drawing that line and showing you up, and, you know, of course he does it in a more subtle way. That's the way players do things. I mean, they, they usually aren't so overt when they do that stuff. Okay, even if they walk across and draw a line, they're going to draw a quick line and they, like, keep walking. They don't just stop there and look at you or something, you know, to make it that easy. So I think there was some purpose in the line that he drew. Um, I don't know if it warranted such a quick ejection. It's easy for me to say that. Uh, when you're right on top of it and you're in the thick of it, I, I could see myself doing the same thing. I honestly could. I mean, I think a lot of you guys out there have to ask yourself that too. Um, would you possibly have done the same thing? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I like to give the benefit of the doubt to, you know, the umpiring um, brothers and sisters out there that you see making calls, right? And uh, I kind of side with him. I think that, I mean, I would back him if I'm his assigner or if I'm his uh, partner. I mean, of course, you're going to talk about it and see what he was thinking. But um, I'm going to side with him on that. I, I think that he probably was trying to show him up. Maybe it could have been handled a little bit differently. And the whole point here about putting like videos out there, it's not to um, to rip on people. That's what some people seem to think it is or to try to make themselves look like they're the the greatest umpire ever or something. I don't know what their point is. The point is, is to try to learn something from it. When I see that, if I have somebody draw a line in a similar way, I might handle that slightly different. I probably would question him. Are you drawing a line here? Is that where you think that pitch was? I might ask him. If he's like, oh, no, no, sir, I'm not drawing a line there. I, I just, you know, I was just moving my bat. I'm sorry. Then I'll be like, well, you better not be. You know, you know, I'm watching that. You know, I would say something or, or give a warning or something like that, right? Question it or something. Um, if he comes off with this big attitude and like, yeah, I'm drawing a line because that pitch is way in, this and that. Okay, well, then maybe that's when you get him. So, I mean, that's maybe how I would handle if I had that. Um I hope I don't have that play. That's a very crazy play. But, you know, you you might get something like that. So that's what you take from videos that you see of particular plays is you try to tuck it into the back of your mind. And then you hope that you might handle it very well if it pops up in your game. You still might not. But that's, that's, what, you, that's what we try to learn, okay? Not to sit there and criticize the player and criticize the umpire. And all this other stuff. Because this is, you know, an accomplished Big 12 umpire. Um, I believe that he was a pro umpire and, and also went up and down in, in the big leagues. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. And he's way farther ahead and had more accomplishments than almost all of us can can even ever hope for 
Um, so I'm not going to sit there and question his integrity and, and his abilities. Um, he obviously thought that he drew that line on purpose. He pointed down to it when you look at it in the video when he was getting an explanation to uh, Eric Bacchus. And um, that's why he made that ejection, which, you know, I, I'd have to back him up. I mean, yeah, I think there was some intent with that. The other thing I think of, Bacchus comes out and... Yeah, he argues. He's got to argue for his player. You know, he's going to defend his player. That's what any good coach or manager is going to do, right? But he didn't go crazy about it. He didn't get himself ejected. If he thought it was so erroneous, uh, then he would have been going a little more nuts about it and maybe got himself ejected, you know. Uh, uh, maybe not, you know, but I'm thinking if it was such an out there thing, you know, obviously the explanation that he got was good enough. You know, if the umpire said, he basically pointed, I could see it there when he was talking to him. He pointed and said, yes, he drew a line right there. That's why I threw him out. And I'm sure Bacchus saw him draw a line. And he's thinking, you know, if you go back to your player and you say, well, what were you doing? Why did you draw that line? What was your point? Um, what's he going to say? I'd like, I'd actually like to know what he would have to say about that. You shouldn't be doing that. That's a big no-no. You don't draw lines up there. You know, parallel lines or or perpendicular lines, <laughs> you don't draw those. That's a that's a way to get yourself in some serious trouble, which is what he did. So, you know, that's kind of my take on that. The, the take is to see what happens with other situations, especially these high-profile televised games, and um, try to learn something from it, and then hopefully try to apply that to your games if you have something similar that pops up the point is not to go on social media and rip people um you know the player is competitive he's just doing his thing the umpire is doing the best he can it didn't have very good optics there's no doubt about that um but i'm not saying it was necessarily the wrong call i'm still kind of like 50 50 on this i mean there's a point where Maybe he shouldn't have made that ejection, but then again, I think that, you know, he's justified in some ways too. So I guess I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, when I talk about different plays or videos or things that might happen to me, I mean, that's the way I'm going to try to approach them. And I hope that uh, those of you out there, that's the way you try to approach um, different learning opportunities as well. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Got an interesting message from Michael Bard on on Facebook, on the the hammer podcast facebook page which i urge you to visit and join and like and all that good stuff anyway inspired from the michigan vanderbilt uh, line drawing ejection michael wrote kevin not sure if you saw this one yeah i did (laughs) but uh, got me thinking ejections would be a good topic so much to talk about when to not to how to handle on the field how to handle off the field tips on writing reports so yeah, definitely a good topic. Probably one we'll have to come back to on a few occasions over the over the, this next season. Um, I, I anticipate that uh, 
I'll have some ejections this year. I usually work well over 100 games, sometimes close to 150 games, and you're going to have a few. And uh, like when people ask me, I have my high school students ask me about ejections sometimes. They always like that kind of stuff. And I say, I don't eject anybody. They eject themselves. And that's really, I think, the, the key thing. We have protocols that we follow. We have rules. Um, if we follow those rules and somebody uh, leads themselves down the road of an ejection, then they kind of did it themselves. For example, ball strikes. We don't argue balls and strikes. You give them a verbal warning if you want to, or you say, I hear you, right? You you tell them that you heard what's going on so that you're hoping that they cut it out. If they don't, then you give them your ball strike warning. If they continue, then you eject them. It's pretty, pretty standard. They kind of ejected themselves. They had their opportunities. That all leads to the kind of report you have to write, which we'll talk about in a minute. But all those things are going to go into your report. So you better be able to follow the protocol and say that you gave this player or coach an opportunity to correct their behavior. They did not, and therefore you had to eject them. That's basically the way every ejection should read. All right. Now, there are some things that are automatic ejections, right? Um, it matters what level you're working, but uh, if somebody does something, um, you know, you know, like a run over a catcher, especially a high school game, that's an automatic ejection. They do something that's, uh, you know, like a flagrant kind of thing, um, or they start a fight or, or those kind of things. Yeah, that's automatic. So, you know, you, you don't, it, there's only so much you got to do for that. But when it comes to arguing, of course, it matters who it is. Head coaches get more leeway than assistants and more leeway than players on those kind of situations matters um, what kind of language they're using and of course the situation matters I mean if I'm working a, a juco game or something you know guys are swearing sometimes so you know that's the way it goes but if it's directed at you or if they say you are and then some kind of insult that's a usually a, a an ejection almost immediately it should be so you know, there's you got to know the kind of protocol for different types of ejections and what you are going to take and what not, and then you have to issue warnings, specifically written warnings. All right, this is your written warning. If you continue, I will have no choice but to eject you. You have to have those kind of words. That that is what I've been taught, Coach. This is your ball strike warning. If you continue to argue. Balls and strikes, I will have no choice but to eject you. And then if they do it, you have to eject them. you got to have the guts to do it. You can't sit there and, and not eject them because then you just look foolish. So that's kind of the way I look at it, I guess. I mean, guys, I don't shy away from them. I'm not trying to go after people and eject them. Sometimes, you know, you might go a long time without an injection, but then somebody acts foolish or they lose their head uh, about some situation, um, you know, get caught up in the competitiveness of it all, whether it be a coach or a player, and they lead themselves down that road. You do what you are supposed to do and um, you end up having to eject them. So if that does happen, uh, hopefully you have at least one partner out there, right? Then you have, um, you know, if you're the non-ejector, then you should be, uh, once, the, once the ejecting umpire turns his back and walks away, or her back, I guess, um, then you should come in there and get that coach out of there. Get them 
well, it might be out of sight of sound or whatever it might be. Um, usually it's out of sight or sound for uh, coaches. Um, if it's a collegiate thing, that's the same thing. But if it's a high school situation, then they just have to be in the dugout. The player does anyway. Uh, coach has to be out of sight and sound. So you got to peel them off so they don't have the prolonged arguing because uh, we don't want that in high school ball and college ball that can lead to uh, further suspensions, um, you know, extended suspensions and things like that. Speaking of those, um, you know, high school ball, at least here in the state of Michigan, is pretty straight up. You know, you miss the next day of competition. So everybody kind of knows that. But if you're working collegiate ball, there are different suspensions for different players or different personnel. Um, so you have to inform somebody of that if that is the case. All right. Um, before, you know, you're off that ball field, you got to let them know, and you know, immediately. So if you are the... Um, ejecting official you do the ejection you walk away um in a confident way right um you probably will have your lineup card or something out so that you can write down information like when they were ejected what was said all those kind of things you should be writing down you know if they said some swear words that got them ejected you write down the exact swear words that they used um the situation all the things that you are going to need to remember for your report okay so um, then if you're the, you know, basically the, the, the good cop umpire, you peel the guy off, um, try not to touch him if at all possible. You know, if he makes contact with you, I guess that's one thing if it's, uh, you know, incidental or something like that. But you try to talk to them. You, you, you do the kind of verbal judo. I hear you, coach. Yep, I hear what you're saying. You know, they might be saying some negative things about your partner, but hopefully, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary. And you try to walk them toward the area that they need to be, like into the dugout, um, toward a gate or something or wherever it might be so that they can get out of that area. And then just, and, and you might have to say, hey, we don't want to prolong arguing suspension here. We, we need to leave the field now. Yep, I hear what you're saying, coach. Yep, I understand. Okay, yeah, you keep going. You don't say anything. You know, you're not ripping on your partner or something, but they can be, they're going to want to get that last little shot in a lot of times. So you just kind of guide them off. Then you make sure you got everything written down. If, if you know, everybody now um, for collegiate umpires carries things down. So if you need to write something down, you write something down as well. The home plate umpire is doing that. And then you get that game going, man, because you got to get the game going and get it done and talk about it afterward and then write your report. As far as um, reports, if there's a specific rule that was broken um, or some kind of conduct violation, I mean, obviously you can quote those things. You want a, the bare bones stick to the fact facts kind of report and as someone that's a, a history and an english teacher i'm more prone to to elaborate too much we're not writing a novel we're not writing a short story we're not projecting what we think other people think because we don't know we're just telling the facts the coach um you basically say in in the second inning the coach was given a ball strike warning in the third inning, the coach um, argued balls and strikes and was ejected. <laughs> and that's you, you keep it to the facts, okay? I mean, that's what it is. If they said some swear words when they came out there, okay, you can put that in there if you want to. But you don't say, the coach didn't like that I was calling the outside pitch this way or that. Nobody cares about that. That's not what it is. You, you don't have to say that, all right? You just got to say the exact facts of what happened. 
and um, the protocol that you followed. You did things the right way. If you gave them a verbal ball strike, kind of like in, this, in the first inning, uh, coach was protesting balls and strikes. And um, and then you can say, I told them that I'm not going to listen to arguments about balls and strikes today. In the second inning, um, they continued to do so, and I gave them a written ball strike warning. In the third inning, the coach continued to argue balls and strikes and was ejected. You know, and you can say, you know, it was the uh, number two was a batter on a two-two count, that kind of thing. You can put those kind of things in there, but that's it. All right, keep it to the facts. Um, what got them ejected? None of the other projections. That's difficult to do. There's some things out there on uh, report writing, and uh, you can look them up, and th- they kind of show that. I know, like even for our our statewide high school association, they have some suggestions. You probably have some. Uh, colleagues that have written reports that kind of have a clue what they're doing. You can talk to them. It's always a good idea to have somebody read it before you submit it. Um, it's a good idea to have your partners read it um, before you submit it so that, you know, in case there's something you forgot or something that's, you know, um, a little off, they can help you correct it. You certainly don't want to lie about anything. You have to 100% tell the truth. Even if you said something you shouldn't have, if you, if you, swore you should put that in there you don't want it coming back to your assigner or your supervisor that you said this or that and that wasn't in there and they come back hey did you call him this you know and you're like well yeah or and you sure, sure as heck don't want to be lying about it so you got to be honest i mean sometimes we make mistakes um hopefully you won't do that again if that's the case but be honest about the situation and tell the facts just the way they are all right those are a few suggestions there um about uh handling objections, um, just some basic stuff, I guess, and uh, report writing. I'm sure some other people out there might have some further suggestions. Feel free to you know, send me an email, um, tweet me, or go on the Facebook page and leave me a message and let me know what you think. As I have, a, if whenever I might have an objection this coming season, I, I certainly will have a segment on it and, and talk about what happened and, and how I handle it, good or bad. Because um, I like to think I usually handle them pretty well. But there's times where, you know, you, you don't handle things quite as well as you would like to. So I will definitely uh, talk about those when they pop up as the season begins. Well, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. But I got an email concerning another potentially interesting situation for the new player DH high school rule that's coming down the pike here, and some people are probably already using it. So on the Federation website, they had this situation, which I think that if you haven't looked at it, you'll find very interesting. This is what it reads. Jones is listed as the player DH. Having pitched in the first two innings, he comes to bat in the third inning, and he hits a double. With Jones on second base, the coach tells the umpire that he wants to end the role of DH for Jones. He is ending the use of a DH for the game, making Jones only eligible to be the pitcher. The coach now wants to have a courtesy runner for Jones. What's the ruling? It's legal. The coach may end the role of DH, leaving the previous player DH as only a defensive player. 
as Jones was the pitcher of record, that's the important part here, having pitched in the last half inning, he is eligible for a courtesy runner via Rule 314B. Um, so, yes, he's the pitcher of record. He can't they, he can't come out there and if he was playing first base saying, oh, he's going to pitch you know, in the next inning, I need a courtesy runner, that would not be legal. But, yes, this is uh, something that somebody could uh, do. Todd Egger sent me an email about that and pointed out uh, these situations. Uh, there are several situations that are on the uh, nfhs.org website concerning the new rule that you might want to check out. So this is definitely going to be an ongoing thing uh, to learn this rule and to make sure we get it right. Uh, hopefully you're talking about it in your association meetings with your fellow high school umpires and going through scenarios and uh, trying to make sure that that you understand this rule very, very well and that when you walk on the field, you're feeling confident that you know what you're going to be doing and you know how to explain it and um, rule on it properly each time so that there's no confusion. And hopefully within your area, within your association, all the umpires are doing things the same way so there's None of that stuff where you get to another site and like, well, last week this guy, these guys let me do this, you know, and you're like, what? Okay, that's not right. So we don't need any of that kind of stuff going on. We need people doing it correctly by the book and uh, getting it right each time. All right, so keep studying up on that new player DH rule. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about how we respond to players and coaches. We're going to continue on with that this week, talking about responding to coaches in particular. So there's you know a number of techniques that you can use that you should keep in mind when responding to coaches. And remember that you cannot be confrontational or short-tempered, and um, nor can you be timid or easily intimidated okay effective umpires convey a calm relaxed demeanor that's what we want to try to project coaches will not agree with you on every call you just got to know that going in they will be annoyed if they are ignored when inquiring about a play or a rule interpretation so it's important that umpires respond only to questions and not statements An umpire should answer any question that is asked in a sportsmanlike manner, whether it comes from the head coach or an assistant coach, no, we're not really in the business of talking to them, but if they do it properly, you should be cordial, right? However, it's extremely important that umpires become responders and not initiators, all right? When answering a question regarding a specific play, never tell a coach something like, that's not my call. Um, you know, it's, it is permissible to say, I'm sorry, coach, I had a different responsibility or, or view of the play, um, you know, and then direct them toward the other umpire. Okay. So just the, the kind of words you use are important. You're basically saying the same thing, but the way that you say it is important. So we know that as an umpire, you can hear when a coach is angry, even if it's not taking place out in the middle of the baseball field. So 
every umpire, because of that, you know, has his or her own idea of what language is acceptable, whether that's coming from the dugout or obviously out in the middle of the ball diamond. Especially when it's in regards to judgment calls and, and balls and strikes, right? Remember the proper escalation for penalizing a coach. All right, you got verbal warning, you got written warning. Uh, if it's a high school game, you got restriction to the dugout, and then you have ejection. Remember that the tolerance level for a head coach is different than for an assistant coach. A head coach should be allowed to make a legitimate argument when he or she feels an umpire has erred. Uh, an assistant coach, by rule, they're not allowed to do so and uh, make sure that uh, they know that. So an ejection is, the, of course, the ultimate penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct. And while there is a line of escalation to follow for unacceptable behavior, an ejection can be employed at any time when the coach's behavior is extreme, uh, persistent, vulgar, or abusive. So usually, you know, most ejections, a, a good ejection, the player or the coach, they kind of eject themselves. They, they kind of cross that line, and it's pretty obvious to you and to everyone around that they need to be ejected. And then when you end up writing your report, it should be fairly obvious there that that was the proper course of action and you gave them an opportunity to right their wrongs and get back on a better course of behavior and they did not do so. So anyway, trying to answer a question from an out-of-control coach can be a lost cause, right? An umpire must deal with the coach's behavior prior to answering the question. Using a simple line like, coach, settle down and, and talk to me. I'm standing right here. Might help them, all right? Sometimes when you tell somebody to settle down, that just gets them more irate. But if you basically are talking in, in um, calm tones and saying, I want to listen to what you're saying, what is your question? Um, the, the tone that you use as an umpire speaks... Um, as important as the words coming out of your mouth, okay? If you're yelling back at them and raising your voice and, and having, you know, some aggressive tones to that, that's going to inflame the situation. So a, tough, uh, a soft tone shows, you know, weakness. I'm not saying you should be, you know, speaking the, in whispers or something. Too strong, that's overdone as well. So you got to be aware of where you're at. Just an even keeled kind of tone right, when you're talking to coaches and players, okay? While verbal communication is critical when interacting with coaches, um, it shares equal billing with body language, all right? An umpire's posture, uh, your movements, stance, your facial expressions, they send a message that your words can't, so you have to be very aware of those. Stand with, uh, with an upright, relaxed posture. You know, make eye contact when you're talking to coaches, don't have your head looking down or something like that. We're not saying you're staring bullets at them, but you're, you're looking at them like you're attentive. Avoid thrusting out your chest or your jaw, which obviously indicates aggression. Uh, avoid crossing your arms in front of your chest, which suggests inflexibility. Um, avoid slouching the shoulders or dropping the head, which indicates submission or being timid, Right? Um, avoid standing stiffly, which makes the, you appear intimidated. 
Uh, avoid shifting the weight from foot to foot, which communicates uncertainty, or rolling the eyes, which obviously ex- expresses like an arrogance or an uncaring attitude. This is difficult. Sometimes you don't even realize that you're doing such things, but you have to be aware of all those things while you're out there on the baseball field, especially when you're talking to coaches and players. Something else to keep in mind that is basically indirectly dealing with coaches is controlling chatter from the dugouts. And this happens at all levels. Um, It seems that at the collegiate levels that I work, that it's a frequent thing. Some of these high school guys, and or that well, they were high school guys, and now college guys think it's some kind of art form to say all kinds of crazy stuff from the dugout. Um, and of course, I start drawing the line when it's directed at the other team, particularly at the other team's pitcher. Okay, um, but you know we hear a lot of stuff from the dugouts, and it's never a good idea to have you know rabbit ears. And react to everything that's said in the dugout. So one of the secrets, of course, to being successful as an umpire is knowing when to respond to what you hear. Because you hear a lot of stuff. And some of it, you just got to let it pass in one ear and out the other. But there are times during a game, such as the break between innings, um, when it might be a good idea to have a little positive communication with the head coach and use that interaction to improve, um, maybe improve your credibility, but also to... Um, cut down on some of the, the chatter that might be coming from the dugouts. This is a tricky situation to do, though. you got to recognize those times and know just what to say, and that can be an art form in itself for an umpire. And certainly it takes experience to do that and probably some trial and error along the way. First, you know, keep in mind that a head coach, especially the higher levels that you might work, they got a lot of stuff they're juggling in their brain, all right? So listening to you and what you have to say is certainly not the top of their priority list. If you are going to say something to them about some situation that's going on, it's got to be short and sweet and uh, professional, okay? Um, no, like, you know, two-paragraph explanation about, you know, how you can't have people saying this or that from the dugout or whatever the situation might be. Okay, keep it short and sweet, and um, and then you know hopefully they will help you out to police their team a little bit better. So most of the rest of your game though should just be spent kind of like channel surfing. If you monitor conversations coming from the dugouts and the coaches' boxes, you know you can get a general feeling for how things are progressing and and what might be a sticky situation that might pop up. However, you know basically you got to pick your spots. Remember, it takes two to have an argument. Best thing you can do if someone's moaning over in the dugout or something is just try to be as neutral as possible. You're not looking to get into some argument with somebody. Um, I I try to avoid players and coaches frequently so that, you know, maybe I don't hear something, you know, because then it might set me off a little bit. I'd rather just not hear it. So, you know, make eye contact without appearing to posture, you know, nod occasionally, um, Resume your position, you know, when the point has been made about something, if, if you do hear something, but uh, don't go out of your way to make something that isn't there, okay? Then comes, you know, a branch and, you know, like the logic tree here. If, if the coach lets it drop uh, for some situation that they are moaning and groaning about, then you probably should let something drop too, right? 
If unfortunately they want to keep going, then maybe try some verbal judo. All right. Um, get him or her to understand that you're hearing what they're saying and uh, it's time to move on. Step one, acknowledge what the coach said. If you got a coach asking about the location of a pitch or something, give him or her your honest assessment. If it's like the first time that this has happened, right? We're not going to do this all game, of course. Something like, that pitch is inside, never had the plate, or whatever, right? Um, or, that pitch is right on the knees, or whatever it might be. And then you tell, you're tell you telling your coaches that you're not blowing, you're not blowing them off, right? However, if they want to... Con- you know, pursue that and continue that. Step two, explaining what is going to happen next if they don't stop doing that. You know, you give the warnings and other things that might progress after that, right? So you could try it. Coach, we're not going to be talking about pitch location all game, and we're not going to argue balls and strikes. So now you're dropping a clear hint that otherwise he or she is heading for, you know, bad a bad direction, right? Any further discussion, this brings about the next step, which is, you know, the potential ultimatum, which is like, obviously, you know, warnings and then potential ejection. So you've got to follow that protocol. Obviously, dealing with players and coaches is, is tricky. I mean, if it was such an easy thing, everybody and their brother want to be an umpire because, you know, you're making some money and, and nobody ever caused you any trouble. But that's not the case. How we manage games, how we manage people. Uh, that really is just as important as our safe and outs and balls and strikes. So figuring out how you're going to handle those situations and getting better at doing them uh, will make your job more enjoyable and make you a much better umpire. I think the most important thing to learn from this and to keep in mind is that the best thing you can do is respond to coaches' questions and not their statements. You can acknowledge their statements, that you heard them, but uh, you answer legitimate questions posed to you in a sportsmanlike manner, not in some sarcastic manner or things like that. So if there's like, you know, a close play on the bases, you know, a steel play or something at second base, let's say, and uh, the, you know, you call the guy out and the other coach, he thought he was safe and he comes out there, you know, yelling and screaming at you and saying, how can you call that? Well, I mean, you don't necessarily have to answer that. You, you just got to, you know, try to get him to calm down. And if he says, where did you have that tag? Then answer the question. I had the tag on his wrist. And, and, and hopefully that's your honest answer. And that is what you saw. You're not making something up here because that gets you in some other problems. But you answer that. You don't come out and say, you know, you don't come out and answer something when he says, I had him safe. He was safe. You know, he's just making a statement, right? We don't, you know, we can look at him and and you can nod your head, you know, that that's what he is thinking or something or or wait for him. Or you can just ask, do you have a question, coach? Where did you have him tagging him? Then you tell him. If he doesn't, say, well, I think we're done here. If you don't have a question for me, I, I guess we're done. It can be very frustrating because coaches will make statements that are, irritating and they're trying to get you or they're an emotional statement and you want to respond to it and you want to say something back to it but uh, that is only going to get you usually in in some hot water or down a road that you don't want to be down so try to be calm professional and answer legitimate questions 
and you know you don't have to respond to irate statements that coaches make. So those are some ideas to think about when you're handling coaches uh, for this upcoming season. So this week's umpire spotlight is longtime National League umpire John McSherry. And I picked John McSherry because we're coming up on the start of our new season. And on several of my podcast episodes, I've talked about getting in shape, trying to eat healthy, trying to increase your flexibility and your strength. Those are all important things that you should be trying to do throughout the year, but definitely as we prepare for a new season, and then if we can, during the season. And we say this with with John McSherry because the thing he's most known for is, is dying of cardiac arrest on a baseball field, you know, on opening day back in 1996, because he was a big guy, six foot two, um, well over 300 pounds uh, most of the time, you know, maybe 325 plus. Uh, and we certainly don't want that to happen to any of us or anybody that we know. I'm sure all of you know some people that are a little bit on the heavy side and a little bit on the out of shape side that struggle, particularly in the in the hot weather, uh, with their conditioning and their uh, ability to, um, you know, call a baseball game. All right. So make sure that uh, you're staying in shape and doing the things that you can to minimize uh, the chance that something tragic might happen to you. However, I must say that all of us are going to die at some point, and uh, I would much rather die on a baseball field than alone in my house or something. <laughs> so um, in a lot of ways, yeah, it's a it's a bad way to go, but man, you know, there could be worse ways. Let's just put it that, that way, right? Anyway, so John McSherry, born in September 1944, uh, Major League umpire. He worked in the National League from 1971 until his death in uh, 1996. He wore uh, uniform number nine when he entered the National League, and then ten from 1979 to the to the end of his career. He was a very respected umpire, um, one of several who were um, noticeably overweight at that time. Um, you uh, listeners that are a little bit older can probably name a few off in your head that were around there in the 70s into the 80s and then into the 90s as well. Um, so McSherry died from you know, cardiac arrest working uh, in Cincinnati on April 1st, 1996. Um, he was uh, an accomplished umpire. He umpired in the World Series in 1977 and 1987. He also worked the National League Championship Series in 1974, 78, 83, 84, 85, 88, 90, and 92. And then the National League Division Series in 1981 and 95. He was selected to work for uh, a few All-Star games, 1975, 1982, uh, 1991, some other notable games that he participated in and was umpiring. On May 4th, 1975, uh, Houston Astros first baseman Bob Watson scored the Major League Baseball's one millionth run in a game against the San Francisco Giants at Candlestick Park, and uh, McSherry was a home plate umpire. 
Um, it happened on a three-run home run by Watson. He was also a home plate umpire for a no-hitter thrown by Houston Astros right-hander Larry Durker on July 9, 1976 in Houston. He was the plate umpire for the sixth and final game of the 1977 World Series. That was the famous game in which uh, the Yankees' Reggie Jackson belted three home runs off three different Los Angeles Dodgers on the first pitch and each at-bat at Yankee Stadium on their way to their 8-4 victory. After Jackson's first home run off of Burt Hooten, uh, Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda came out to the mound to make a pitching change, and Lasorda asked McSherry who he should uh, get from the bullpen. And McSherry suggested that Lasorda go with the right-hander, which was um, Ellis uh, Sosa. And then Sosa, of course, gave up a home run, the second one, to Jackson on the first pitch. And then, of course, knuckleballer Charlie Huff came in and gave up the third home run also on the first pitch. Uh, McSherry was also the first base umpire during the August 12, 1984 game between the San Diego Padres and Atlanta Braves, which featured several brawls and resulted in multiple ejections. McSherry uh, didn't eject anyone directly. Home plate umpire Steve Ripley did all that. But he ordered the benches cleared and all reserve players back to their dressing rooms in the ninth inning. So very unique situation there. He was the, um, McSherry was a home plate umpire uh, on June 23, 1986 in the Cubs-Phillies game at Veterans Stadium where the Phillies set an NL record with 15 extra base hits in a 19-1 route of the Cubs. The hits were uh, four home runs and 11 doubles. Uh, second baseman Juan Samuel had a pair of three-run home runs in that game. He was uh, first uh, first base umpire during the Cubs-Astros game that saw a record 53 players used in an 18-inning game that began on September 2nd, 1986 and ended, of course, the next day. That seems like that seems like not a fun game to be doing, but that's the way it goes sometimes. And then also he uh, started off behind the plate in Game 7 of the 1992 uh, National League Championship Series but had to leave early in that game because of dizziness, uh, which I'm sure is related to his health issues that he had from his um, obesity. So let's talk about the fateful day, April 1st, 1996, when the Montreal Expos were in Cincinnati to open up the Major League season. If you remember, uh, traditionally it used to be Cincinnati always had the very first game. I mean, it's kind of changed the last several years, but that's the way it was for a long time. And McSherry was assigned to work home plate on opening day. Seven pitches into the game, uh, McSherry called timeout. He spoke briefly to the Reds catcher, Eddie uh, Taubensey, and walked slowly toward the Reds dugout. Moments after signaling for uh, the second base umpire to come in and replace him, McSherry stumbled and collapsed. Resuscitative efforts were begun on him, and he was taken to the University Hospital in Cincinnati, but was pronounced dead within an hour. He was 51 years old. Um, Because third-base umpire Tom Hallen had followed the ambulance to the hospital, it left the remaining two umpires, Steve Ripley and Jerry Crawford, to decide whether to proceed with the game. Shaken and tearful players on both teams consoled the grieving umpires, which is interesting, and ultimately it was decided that it would be best to postpone the game. Probably 
definitely a good decision in, in hindsight, right? Reds manager Ray Knight recalled a um, comment from Hall of Fame shortstop Barry Larkin. He said, Barry told me very quietly and with very much emotion, Ray, I've had a lot of deaths in my family in good conscience. Out of respect for life, I can't go out there. So, of course, there had to be a little controversy with this because Marge Schott was the owner of the Reds at the time, and she was always a bit controversial. And she was quoted as having said, Snow this morning and now this. I don't believe it. I feel cheated. This isn't supposed to happen to us, not in Cincinnati. This is our history, our tradition, our team. Nobody feels worse than me. So anyway, Schott's statement was criticized. Um, as a you know, a screw up, a public screw up, of course, and supporters continue that she was thinking of some of the fifty thousand fans that you know had expected to see baseball that day that you know might have to come to a makeup game or something. But um, and then she sent flowers onto the umpire's dressing room. But then people said that there were just flowers that were already had been given to her by some you know the Reds television station or something. So she kind of regifted them. Um, supposedly anyway she wrote some you know sympathy note but she she was always a piece of work so i I don't really buy that kind of stuff but anyway the next day the reds beat the expos four to one and uh rick Riker joined the umpiring crew as an emergency replacement at third base and mcshare's funeral was held at saint nicholas uh of tolleton catholic church in the bronx and and he was uh, buried in the cemetery uh, gates of heaven cemetery there so it was later revealed that mcsherry had a doctor's appointment for the next day after his death ironically right and he had been diagnosed with a cardiac arrhythmia after the incident of course major league baseball compelled his umpires to be more physically fit um and umpire eric gregg who was also a very large man and, and was also a friend of mcsherry um and probably just as heavy or heavier, made an effort to lose his excess weight via exercise and diet. But uh, he resigned after the 1999 season in a dispute with you know the Major League Baseball, and he died at age 55 due to a stroke, probably due to um, his weight issues as well. Anyway, the New York Mets uh, honored McSherry's memory by embroidering uh, JMNL Umpire 10 in a home plate uh, crossed by two baseball bats on the right sleeve of their 1996 game jerseys. And then in memory of McSherry, the Reds dedicated Riverfront Stadium's umpire's dressing room to him, and the National League retired his number 10. Of course, Riverfront Stadium's not around anymore. they got a new stadium there. And I don't know if that uh, umpire room is uh, dedicated to him or not. I guess we'd have to ask a Major League umpire, right? <laughs> Let us know. But anyway... Once this happened, there definitely was a more concerted effort and on professional umpiring schools to um, produce umpires that were physically fit. And if you look at umpires nowadays, um, yeah, you see some guys are a little bit overweight, but nothing too bad usually. Um, some of the older umpires have been around for 30, 40 years or whatever in the major leagues. Yeah, they're a little on the heavier side because they're a little older. But all the young guys, man, you don't see... Uh, a plump young guy coming out there. They're all in good shape, looking pretty fit and everything and athletic. So I guess in some ways McSherry, 
he didn't die in vain for this. I mean, there, there was a, a lot of changes in the profession and what people expected of umpires. I remember growing up, you know, umpires, a lot of times people thought they were just like a fat old umpire or something like that. And and that mindset and that um, perception and um, thought by people um, has definitely changed. Um, high school high school kids that I teach, and they don't think of that. I don't think they think of umpires being a fat old guy or something like that. But when I was growing up, you know, that was kind of in the back of your head. You didn't necessarily say it, but there was a lot of overweight umpires out there. They might have been able to do the job fine, but they definitely were overweight and didn't look very good doing it. So I guess that's um, the little silver lining to it all. Anyway, that is this week's Umpire Spotlight, John McSherry. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. Thanks for your attention and for listening. Things have been rolling along pretty well. I'm gaining more and more listeners each week. And I also have uh, more and more people joining the Hammer Podcast Facebook page. Um, it seems like every day I'm getting new friend requests and um, likes for the uh, for the podcast. So that's good. We're building a bit of momentum. I have some international listeners some from uh, different Latin American countries and from Mexico. I also do have some of my listeners that are in the Netherlands and in um, New Zealand. So I have seen that on my my feedback and my data that they, they give me through Anchor. Um, and I always just kind of thought that maybe it was just an American over there. But there are some people that are living over there that are um, listening to the podcast. And hopefully uh, it's helping them out. I'd love to get some some feedback and some information from them if they want to get in contact with me or any of you can obviously do that my email is spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com you can tweet me at kevin r weber one b and weber or you can uh, like and reach me message me or whatever you want to do through the facebook page which is at the hammer podcast so I'd like to know what you guys are doing down there in those other countries and uh how baseball is with you. It'd be very interesting to find out and um, talk about those things. So the season for most of us is getting very close. Hopefully we're going out and seeing some pitches. We're getting ourselves in shape. Uh, we're eating better. And uh, we're getting ready to um, take the take in the first game of the season. I know um, here we still got snow on the ground. It's cold most of the time. But uh, it's less than a month before I will see my first pitches, hopefully, weather permitting, um, you know, in an actual game. Uh, I know some of you are in the warm weather parts of the country and in, in, in other countries that are warmer. So you're already seeing some pitches and, and calling some balls and strikes and safes and outs and everything. So, hey, let me know how that's going as well. I'd like to know any kind of strange situations that you might come up with or any questions you might have that we could talk about here on the podcast. Until next time, keep calling strikes.